And welcome back to the beautiful and believable podcast. Drew Dotson here today will be, I think, the third installment of my Religionless Christianity series. Um, let's see where we want to go today. Last time I talked about the historical context of Bonhoeffer, and again, this is not going to be a 20-part series on Bonhoeffer with uh, uh, historical lessons from uh, the mid-20th century, but we got to do a little bit of that to understand these ideas that Bonhoeffer has handed down to us, ideas which I think are for our time and for our setting and are extremely helpful. I'm finding them very helpful uh, in my own life and in my own work. But we have to understand that he was a man of his time, like we all are. And so that was the last episode, number two. Uh, today, I want to touch briefly on the misunderstandings of Bonhoeffer. And again, I'm not going to try to be exhaustive. There's probably, probably at least two that get in the way of actually hearing Bonhoeffer and letting him help us in our polarized time. And we do live in a polarized time, and we live in a time of sea change. You can call it... Uh, as one historian, Phyllis Tickle, has called it, the great Western garage sale that we seem to have every 500 years where we sell off the old so we can go buy something new. We seem to be having one of those right now. I had a professor who called it these periods of time hinges. He said these hinges occur, like the same thing Phyllis Tickle said, about every 500 years we seem to move through a hinge where the door closes on one room and opens up to another room. And we seem to be living in one of those times. So if we're going to hear Bonhoeffer, because I think he's way helpful. I think he's spot on, and I think he can help us think Christianly. He can help us follow Jesus. Uh, but he's also been misappropriated and misunderstood. And I'll just mention a couple of these uh, just to put us on our toes and then we'll move forward into a more positive construction of understanding uh, Pastor Bonhoeffer from all those years ago. Gosh, now, uh, 60, 80 years, 80 something years ago. Well, one of the uh, early misappropriations, and, uh, you know, Bonhoeffer expressed religionless Christianity in, a, uh, in letters to his best, uh, best uh, friend. And those have been collected since and edited as letters and papers from prison. And it's a big old thick book. A lot of the letters are just very personal and they're wonderful to get a feel for the man, the person. Uh, some of those were to his fiance. Uh, many of the uh, last letters about what religionless Christianity were to his best friend as he was thinking out loud on paper since he couldn't talk to anybody from the Nazi prison. Uh, except other prisoners. He was hugely popular with other prisoners. They loved talking to Bonhoeffer by all the accounts we have from other prisoners. But he couldn't talk his theological ideas at depth, except in, in letters and his papers from prison. Uh, that, that best friend lived long enough into the 50s, and I think into the early 60s, if my memory serves correctly, uh, to begin to see his ideas misappropriated. And the first ones were what people call the Death of God School of Theologians here in America, 1960s. I'm not going to belabor this because this really is, this, this history even puts me to sleep, okay? But it's important just to see how he was misappropriated. John A.T. Robinson, uh, some, uh, some church leaders, Bishop Spong comes to mind. You can look these guys up. You can Google this whole school of thought, the Death the Death of God theologians from the 1960s, guys like John A.T. Robinson, uh, church leaders like 
uh, Spong. They, as the 60s, was, which was really the first uh, crack in the kind of church anity of America. It was in the 60s. This is post-World War II. Now, of course, post-1950s. Uh, rise of communism, Cold War, 1960s. Martin Luther King, uh, the, the rise of the civil rights movement, the 1960s, uh, so turbulent. One of my nephews asked me a while back, is this worse than the 1960s? I said, well, I don't know. I don't think so yet. The 1960s, we killed a president, John Kennedy. We killed his brother, was a sitting uh, attorney general of the United States. And, of course, we shot dead one of the greatest leaders of the century and perhaps of all time, Martin Luther King, Jr., uh, so it wasn't just that there were riots in the street, and there were racial riots in the street, riots, uh, anti-war riots in the street. Uh, there were. Uh, it, it wasn't just that we were assassinating our politicians, and we were. It was a deeply polarized time in our culture in the 1960s. People felt like the wheels were coming off of America. Uh, wheels were coming off Western civilization. Uh, who are all these young punk, hippie, beatnik kids questioning uh, our leaders in the war? Uh, it, was a, it was a turbulent time. That was, I was a boy uh, moving into uh, early adolescence as the 60s wore on and then came to a close. Uh, 1970, I was still young. I was uh, entering high school at the time. But I just remember that every night the nightly news was uh, body bags from Vietnam and more footage of an anti-war protest or a racial riot or the hippies, the hippie dippies out in California, uh, controversies around psychedelic drugs, marijuana, all that. That the 60s were that time. That was it was turbulent. It is it put on the uh, table, so to speak, issues that we are still hammering out. Here now 60 years later. Uh, because it was the beginning of questioning uh, is America really a Christian nation, and what does that mean anyway? And are all Americans really white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestants? Well, of course, it turns out that not all Americans are. And it turns out that these questions around uh, drugs, sex, and rock and roll are still with us. Whether we're talking about abortion, it was almost, it was almost no public discourse about homosexuality and what we would, might now call gay rights or LGBTQ rights. It was whispered and it was increasingly acknowledged, but there was no real open discussion about it, but that's when it began. And that's when some in the gay rights community began to organize for the long game, for the long haul, to carve out a, a place in American society over the long haul. Uh, we, we still have not resolved our, our racial issues and history that MLK put so courageously on the table. We're, working, we're still working that out. Uh, and in the midst of that turbulent post-World War II, post-1950s, uh, as the 60s erupted, some theologians who were, they were paying attention, and uh, they could tell that uh, the typical Christian religion was being called into question and was even in so already in some disregard, it was being tossed out, they began to advocate a secular, what they would call a secular religion. They began to, we ought to all just admit that God is dead and move on. 
and generate some kind of secular religion in place of Christianity, some of them would say. And I'm, I'm painting with such a broad brush, I'm probably misrepresenting some of them. But the point simply is, as they articulated what was then considered extremely radical theology from Christian leaders, uh, God is dead theology, uh, uh, we need a new secular religion. Uh, we can't go back to the old religion anymore. Christianity's been discredited. They were they were making sweeping statements like this in the '60s in the turbulence of all that. Uh, as 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 they were doing that, they began to uh, grab Bonhoeffer's phrase "religionless Christianity." And they would quote him as if he was a patron saint of their movement. Some may have understood him. Many clearly did not. Uh, but I just want to say this. I, know, I do know that the, the 1960s theologians who appropriated Bonhoeffer really disturbed and I would say even offended his best friend who was still alive when some of that first began to happen. He thought it was an, an entire misappropriation of Bonhoeffer's life. Uh, so if you if you hear any discussion about Bonhoeffer uh, along those lines or that he was one of those death of God theologians, that is not accurate. A little more contemporary to our day. Uh, I recently told a friend what I was doing and that I was going to be uh, talking about religionless Christianity, Bonhoeffer's phrase, and he started laughing. He said, yeah. He said, uh, he said uh, my Reformed friends, I was talking to one of my Reformed friends, a young pastor the other day, about Bonhoeffer, and here's what his friend, a young Reformed pastor, said. He said, you know, we just kind of think that maybe Bonhoeffer went crazy in prison there toward the end. We, you know, he wrote all those other good books like Life Together and The Cost of Discipleship, uh, where he sounds a whole lot like an American evangelical. And we like those books, but we kind of think he may have just gone nuts there toward the end because he was in a Nazi uh, prison camp. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing about that, but I got to tell you, that is just an ignorant and ludicrous thing to say. Bonhoeffer didn't go nuts. Uh, if we if if we if he's disturbing our American evangelicalism with his phrase religionless Christianity, then, then your American evangelicalism needs to be disturbed. Uh, he did not go crazy. He did not go nuts. Uh, he's worth reading and listening to, uh, even if you think he he can't un even understand what he's talking about with this religionless Christianity idea. Uh, here's another one. If this was a video, I'd be waving around a book by Eric Metaxas called Bonhoeffer. Pastor, martyr, prophet, spy. That sucker is nearly 600 pages long. Uh, Eric McTaxis has since styled himself as a new Bonhoeffer for our age in America. His uh, politics are right-wing. Uh, he is a right-wing supporter of right-wing republicanism and Donald Trump, and he's very vocal about it, so I'm not saying anything out of school. He's very vocal about that. Uh, and he has taken Bonhoeffer and wrapped himself in the mantle of Bonhoeffer, has even gone so far as to style himself as the new Bonhoeffer for our time in America. And he wrote this 600-page biography on Bonhoeffer. In that 600-page bi uh, biography, he gives a grand total of about four pages to religionless Christianity, in which he says that Bonhoeffer's thinking was dubious, and then a few sentences later, he talks about Bonhoeffer's ill-advised theology of his time in prison. I think the only thing ill-advised is to question a martyr like Bonhoeffer and his thinking just because you don't get it. 
we need to do the work to understand Bonhoeffer's contribution. And whether he's misappropriated by the death of God theologians from the 60s or by a self-styled evangelical like Mr. Metaxas, who actually I enjoyed his book. It's, I'd recommend the book in this way. It's a, you get a feel for uh, Bonhoeffer as a man, not just as a walking brain, a theologian. Uh, you get a feel for his family. You get a feel for how he agonized over what to do about Hitler. But uh, to not to dismiss the thinking at the end of his life, when he is about to be martyred because of his faith by the Nazis, uh, his faith led him to participate as a courier in a plot to kill Adolf Hitler. He felt he had no choice given his faith, his commitment to Jesus Christ, and he admitted it was a conflicted choice because it was going to involve violence, although he wasn't pulling any trigger, he was participating in a violent plot, and he knew it, and he was conflicted, but he felt like faith demanded that we take action, even if we could be wrong, in the face of evil, in the face of a monstrosity that was butchering millions of people. And so he gave his life because of that conviction, hung by the Nazis just a few weeks before peace was finally declared. Uh, we, it would do us well to not misunderstand Bonhoeffer, to not misappropriate him, nor to dismiss him as having gone crazy, or to dismiss his last thoughts on the planet as dubious or ill-advised. I just think that's a crock. What I'd like to do in the weeks ahead is not so much study Bonhoeffer. Uh, we are going to take, I think, uh, his five basic convictions that I have gleaned from his writings and I'd like to talk about them because they have enormous implications and could be enormously helpful for this troubled time in which we live. So that's what we'll be doing in episodes ahead. Um, I'm kind of cleaning house today. I wanted to put a couple of these misunderstandings uh, to the side so that we can begin to hear Bonhoeffer and what he might have to say for us here uh, somewhat uh, 80 years later as we face our own Troubled times, right-wing times, left-wing times, times of ideology, times when we are at each other's throats, even though we claim the same, to salute the same flag, even though we claim to follow the same master, Jesus. So I think that's plenty for today. Uh, maybe that uh, got you interested in what we're going to be talking about. I'd love to hear from you if so. Uh, and again, uh, I want to keep harping on this. Uh, we're inviting you to consider coming on here and interviewing me and setting the topic and setting the questions. But I think that's enough uh, today on Religionless Christianity uh, here on our third episode. Thank you so much for listening in. Thank you for joining us. And uh, come back. We're going to keep talking about Religionless Christianity. Until then, much love. Mm -hmm.